0: Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am Marcia Van Weinsberg. I am a speaker, a coach, and a published author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will share tips, tools, and strategies used by our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in their lives. I am on a mission to educate, empower, and inspire you to see that when you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are connecting with Leanne Townsend. Leanne is a family lawyer and divorce coach out of Toronto, and we just dove into so much during this conversation. It's so powerful. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Leanne is regularly interviewed in the media and has been featured in Lawyers Daily, Divorce Magazine. Daring Women magazine, and she's been a guest expert on a number of radio stations and podcasts on topics including abusive relationships, divorcing a narcissist, and divorce recovery. In addition, she has spoken at a variety of events focused on women's empowerment, and she regularly writes her own blog on topics about dating, relationships, and family law. Her biggest pride and joy is her two teenage children who she lives in Toronto with. In addition to her business, Leanne loves and is passionate about fitness, traveling, and lifelong education. Leanne and I dove into a number of different topic areas today, and we talked a lot about our stories and vulnerability and what it's like to face plants and how we pick ourselves up from that and how to be real. Leanne shared her takeaways on the mask of perfectionism and how we've lived with it for so long and how it's almost it's just it is impossible to maintain the more masks we wear wear in our lives, the less relatable we are to others, and the more likely, or the less likely, we are to ask for help when we need it. And we all know we don't get anywhere without asking for help. We have to be able to get to that space of knowing that we just do not have the answers on our own. And it's at those turning points where we realize that it's okay to ask for help. We talked about knowing when our problems are bigger than us and accepting, again, we don't have those solutions on our own being grateful for our challenges as they shape us into who we are and who we are meant to become, the tremendous power in owning our stories. She speaks my language here and she is definitely my people and this was just such a great connection because learning how to own our stories without any shame is where all change occurs. Honestly, that's where we can take ownership and radical responsibility for our own choices in our lives the freedom of vulnerability we talk about and showing up as our true selves. That is how we impact and like the way for others. And that creating that, creating massive change in our lives is possible even when we don't think it is, but it is at a point where we have to know that we don't have those answers. We have to ask for help and we have to be okay or letting go of the fear of everyone seeing us as we are. And you know, when you are a, recovering perfectionist and a person who likes to have it all and comes from the school of just suck it up and keep going, as I could so relate, it's hard to ask for help. It's really hard. And sometimes life forces us into a space where there's nothing else that's going to happen until we reach outside of ourselves and ask for help. And that was where Leanne was. So This is an incredibly powerful episode, and I'm so, so grateful for her time, her vulnerability, her courage, and what she shared with us today. I know you will enjoy it, and I know you will have some massive takeaways. So join in and enjoy this this podcast with Leanne. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life, and today we are speaking with Leanne Townsend. Leanne and I connected online, and she has a very powerful story and lots of tips and tools to share with our listeners, so I cannot wait to dive in. Leanne is a family lawyer and divorce coach, and I am so grateful to have you here today. Thank you, Leanne.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here, so thank you for inviting me. Absolutely.
0: So we have a few questions that we are going to dive into first, and they're really simple so it's just um where are you from
1: i'm from toronto and i live in toronto canada uh, i have lived here all my life oh your whole life perfect and pretty okay. much close to the same area of toronto uh pretty much i grew up in a suburb of toronto miss called mississauga but uh, mm-hmm. i've been in toronto all my adult life nice
0: nice i'm kitchen Kitchener-Waterloo, so we're not that far apart from each other but yeah are you a reader
1: Um, that's a good question. I, Hmm. by my profession, I have to read a lot. I mean, you know, as a lawyer, you do a lot of reading. So I don't do as much of it as I probably should in my personal life. I mean, I like, you know, good personal growth type books. I do tend to have a few of those on the go at once, but um, I don't read as much as uh, I would advocate to other people that uh, they should.
0: But I'm sure you have to do an awful lot of reading on your own. So I completely understand as a lawyer. Um, What is the most impactful book you have read?
1: Hmm, That's a good question. I mean, I think one of the ones that I've read a lot of great books, um, Mm -hmm. but one of the ones that jumps to mind would be Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Um, That one just spoke to me. You know, I think it speaks to a lot of people, but it definitely spoke to me on a huge level.
0: It is. um, That's probably my favorite Brene Brown book. And I have it on Audible as well, and she does the audio. So I've listened to that at least twice, and on top of reading it because I love her voice. I just love her voice. So that's a great book. That's a great it book. It is a great book. Mm-hmm. What is one of your favorite quotes?
1: Oh, um, that's a good good question. Um, I mean, I have again. I have probably a few you know, quotes I love. One of them is, you know, in that book, actually, which I can't quote word for word, because it's but it's about like the man in the arena. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that, that's probably my favorite quote, even from the whole book. And I know she I think she's quoting, I don't know if it's Roosevelt See, or somebody else. Either. It's Roosevelt. Yeah. Yeah. Roosevelt. It's a fantastic quote. It's one of my favorite, favorite quotes. Yeah, that's definitely one of mine, because I just think there's always so many critics, and I find any time you put yourself out there as you're doing with your work, I do it with my work, Mm -hmm. there's always the, the critics on the sidelines who have lots to say, but they're not putting themselves out there. So that's a quote that I absolutely love. Well, and I think we can,
0: we can dive back to that later as well. It's learning how to keep going when you are dealing with the critics and the more you are touching on sensitive topics and working in difficult, challenging areas, you're going to meet more critics. It's going to, it's just definitely going to happen. And I know as I started to speak and share more, it was like, no, there, there's more critics and there's more critics. And it's just, yeah. and all of a sudden you have to just go, okay, you know what? It, this goes with the territory. I'm obviously hitting triggers. I'm obviously hitting topics that have to be talked, about.
1: Exactly. I always, to be honest, tell myself, I must be, you know, having even more success because the more critics, the more haters or whatever, I always take it that it must mean that I'm leveling up to the next level. So I view it as a good thing.
0: And that's a very powerful shift in perspective, right? That's a very, to be able to do that as opposed to stay as the victim, very powerful. Um, Who is a mentor who has impacted your life? It does not be somebody, you know, can be somebody, you know, or somebody you don't know.
1: Um, I mean, I would say my father it was is probably my biggest mentor. I mean, unfortunately, he passed away uh, in two thousand and two, so he's been gone for some time. Um, mm-hmm. But he always, you know, gave me the message right from, you know, as a young child that uh, I could be anything I wanted to be. There were no limitations and Mm -hmm. it didn't matter, you know, that I was a female, Um, you know, the world was my oyster. And so when he did pass away, for me, there was a huge void there because I haven't really had someone else step into that role the same way.
0: I understand. That's and that is a while ago. I understand. So he made quite the impact on you, right? When you were younger, he did. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's beautiful. What is something? Last question. What is something that lifts you up and drives you?
1: My children. Um, I, you know, they're my biggest why for everything I do. I want them to be proud of me. I want to, you know, set the example. I want to show them how life is supposed to be led and. I want, you know, as I say, I just want them to see me as a positive role model and a positive influence in their life. So they're, you know, my, why I get out of bed every morning and why I strive to be the best I can be all the time. Mm-hmm.
0: That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Um, how old are they?
1: they my son is uh, 17 and my daughter is 15. Oh, wow.
0: Fun age.
1: You know, it's funny for years. I'd always heard all these bad things about teenagers, but you know what my two have been Wonderful. It's not to say that there haven't you know, at times been you of know, course. issues or talking back and that sort of thing But I think teenagers are great and it's been a great phase uh, to, to you know to go through and uh, they're like little mini adults now you can have the most interesting conversations So uh, for those people who might be listening who have younger kids I would say just don't be afraid of the teenage years. They can actually be really good
0: Well, and they can be in a sense, right? And they can be. I mean, what attitude we take to it? As I, as I sometimes when I share my story, I know people are like, "Oh my God, I don't want to be." I'm like, "No, no, I'm the extreme. Like, I am the extreme." And I mean, I look now at some of the conversations I have with my 21 year old, and that I mean, they're just most parents would never have those kind of conversations. But we've come back into that space, and it's just fascinating because we've walked some different roads. So it's.
1: Well, I was going to say, and I think because of some of the things I've been through um, in my life, cur- also during part of my life when they've been around mm-hmm. and they've seen me go through it and they've seen the, the challenges and the, the failures and that sort of thing. I, I have a really good um, communication level with them about things because I've always owned up to what I've done wrong in my failures and mistakes and I don't hide them. So I think I've, I've been able to have that kind of closeness where they know that they can talk about a lot of things with me and I'm not going to judge it.
0: That's beautiful. That is beautiful. And that actually is a very good segue and ties into the fact that one of the things you mentioned to me was that you learned how to become so much happier when you let go of that identity of perfectionism. So that has probably helped you to be real and speak with your kids on a different level, right? Because you learned how to let go of that. I don't know what we want to call that. It's like a a persona that you almost
1: had to let go of. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, they know I'm been Far from perfect, and you know I'm okay with it. They're okay with it, and and then it carries over. Like I've never felt with my kids that I had to be projecting outwardly to other people that we're the perfect family. You know, I I see some of these parents, and they got their the way they brag about their children, or if their children are having a difficulty, they want to you know shove it under the carpet, and you can see that they're embarrassed or ashamed And you know, I've always said to my own children, there's nothing. Like that they could ever do. That first of all, I'm going to stop loving them, right. um, and not to be ashamed of making mistakes. And um, so I think it, just being able to have those conversations is so important.
0: I love that you said that because I do find, and this is just my experience talking, but I do find that there is almost this—can I say—a badge of honor if our kids are doing as we want them to do or as we think it looks best to everyone else and in because we put that badge of honor on it then when they aren't at that space then we're in this space of like i have failed or i have failed and and we've created this this almost it's not achievable but it's this like you say this badge of honor this level of perfection of what has to exist and it's it's not real it's not sustainable it's not attainable and it's not really setting our kids up for a great um a great space that they they like i don't want them to feel that they have to do one thing in order to have my approval and,
1: exactly yeah Uh, because even like uh, my son is in grade 12 which is of course an interesting age because you know that he's going to be graduating high school so inevitably everyone's asking me oh well like what's he doing next year and he's you know he's got into universities and he's you know looking at doing a business program but I do find when a lot of people ask me those questions Mm -hmm. I do feel a sense of judgment or sizing it up you know is this impressive isn't this you know is, is it not and I mean I'm proud of my Son, you know, and he's whatever he's doing. But I do. It's, it's just been interesting. I really do sense that a lot of people have judgments on, you know, what choices your children are making when they finish high school, <laughs> and, and in general. right? Yeah, yes. Just, true. True. Yeah, and in general. <laughs>
0: and we all know, right? It's a. I mean, I know my one. Um, my one son went back to school because he didn't go to school for a while. Went back to school, got to high school, was in college. And I know, um, I, I was super, super proud the day he went back and finished because that was like, that was more work than doing it the first time it was significantly. And it was a decision. And, and I remember somebody stopping me and saying, but what good is high school anyways? What does that mean? And I was like, you totally missed the whole point. Like you totally missed the whole point. I mean, I'm crazy proud because there's, I also know a lot of kids who've gone to university who have dropped out and are doing nothing. So it's, 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 you know, it's let them have, it is their journey. We want to encourage them to step into and know that they're capable of all of those things, but it still is their journey to figure out.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. So when we talk about perfectionism and we talk about, you know, wanting to have that um, vision of what things look like, that sounds like that has been part of your journey and part of you as you speak about that. So tell us a little bit about what prof- what role perfectionism had in your life and um, where that kept you for a period of time and then what changed because of it. We'll start there if that's Okay.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think for me, perfectionism, was almost a coping mechanism uh, as a child, and it was a way to get uh, validation and external approval. So, when I was growing up, um, you know, I was always the little Miss goody Two Shoes, little Miss Perfect. I always looked pretty. I did well in school. I said and did all the right things. I was a good daughter, a good sister, you know, all of those types of things. Mm-hmm. And I got praised for it. You know, that was the way, particularly with my father, who I looked up. To enormously that was how I got his attention by overachieving excelling doing well never having problems never being negative you know all that sort of thing which is just an impossible um you know to standard to live up to for sure yeah. and I mean I did it for a long time um I I think for me one of the turning points um came when when I was 19 my mother died of cancer oh. and um I was living, my brother and I, my, my brother's two years younger, we lived with her. My parents weren't together. And um, so when she passed away, we continued to live in the house where we had lived with her. And my father paid me the child support that he'd been paying to my mom. So I was just running this household at 19. 19 yeah, 19. and going to university. Um, oh and my goodness. her and, and being perfect, Um, you know, that's, that was what I did. I, you know, I I didn't, um, I wasn't really allowed to mourn or to, you know, because my father had had a very tough life, a tough childhood, so he was very much of the school of thought that you suck it up, you carry on, you perform, you do well, and that's what I did. but I didn't really have any emotional support so it was a very hard time in my life but Mm -hmm. I was able to still keep up the the facade of perfection even though um you know inside I was not doing so well
0: can I ask you at that time because that's like that is a I just think as a 19 year old now you are not raising but you're like you're accountable for a 17 year old right like at this and going to university and you have a home that you're like, you're still living in this home. So you're, I mean, on all accounts, a full adult who's had to deal with the loss of a parent and taking care of a 17 year old. So that is, um, did you find yourself, do you, okay. Let me see if I can ask this. So perfectionism there, did you find yourself like just doing the do and almost not numb, but not really having time to really process everything that was happening?
1: For sure. I mean, I don't think I ever, I, at that time, I didn't fully deal with the grief from the loss of my mother. Mm -hmm. My way of coping was just to continue to try to be perfect and juggle every, all my responsibilities, but not complain. Um, and, you know, suck it up is my dad would say I wanted to make my dad proud. My dad had lost his mother at a young age and had had a much harder life than what I was going through. So I felt um, it was I just, you know, was to per- suck it up and keep going and, and do well and um, don't st- don't tell anyone, you know, to be honest, I was, I went in my second year of university, so my mother died in the, in April. So the second year I went into started obviously in September and that year I was, I'm sure I was clinically depressed at that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't diagnosed, but I can remember sleeping in, spending days sleeping. I missed class. I, I slowly dropped one course after the other, after the other, but didn't tell anyone like my, everyone who knew me thought I was still a full-time university student, but but I wasn't um I was depressed and sleeping a lot and but I was able to keep up the image to those outside of my home, and my brother was too young to notice or care, and he would be the only one who would have seen because he was the only one living with me right. um so i I just kind of you know faked that everything was okay and meanwhile I'm sure I was clinically depressed and that but then fortunately I without any kind of outside intervention I did come out of it um you know by by my third year so I was able to turn it all around
0: wow that speaks a lot to you as a person and as a recovering perfectionist i know if i say you know how strong you were how much you sucked it up and pushed, like that just feeds the perfectionism so i'm going to say as a human you did amazing like that's to turn that around that's a lot to take on your plate that is a um and you do you think that how do you how do you think what were some of the things that helped you to create that change to get to the space that okay um you know i can myself through this. Now we're going to third year. Do you think it was just time that had to pass because there's a grieving process that has to happen there?
1: Yeah, I think part, of, a big part of it was time, and then the other part, which I I hate to admit to, but I met a guy um, who was like my, I would say my first love. And, you know, all the feelings surrounding that came out. And I think that also helped me turn things around as well. Although I always, I hate to give credit to a a boyfriend, um, you know, for stuff, but he definitely played a role um, Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, making me feel happier.
0: That's good. That's good. So you went through that. That's a lot to take in at a very young age. So that perfectionism, you move through dealing with your mom's passing and all the responsibilities you had. Is that level of perfectionism still stay with you for a number of years? Like, is that something you started to slowly shed or did it just continue to stay I with know. you?
1: it just continued on. So I, you know, I got into, I got my grades, I got into law school, you know, again, kind of went onto this, this perfect, you know, track of, of life. And then I, you know, married a guy who, you know, was a good provider, um, successful, good looking guy. Um, you know, and we had two beautiful children, and we had a boy and a girl. That the, the millionaires, millionaire uh, family, family. Yeah, the millionaire yeah. family, right? Yeah, Exa- yeah, exactly. And I, you know, got a job as a crown attorney, and you know, a lot of people respect crown attorneys and prosecutors in our community. Um, so I just, you know, continued keeping up the facade. I mean, by this point, I, I, I'd done a lot of healing from my mother's death. Yeah. I think there was stuff that I still probably hadn't fully. Um, mm-hmm. Healed from, and even to this day, I don't know that there's probably certain elements that I haven't healed from, but I, you know, was in a better place. But there was just other stuff going on in my life where I still felt I had to keep up this mask, and my self esteem was very, very low. Um, But outwardly, I think people would have been surprised to know that I had such low self esteem. And I, I, because people were all sometimes jealous of me because I seemed like I was the person who had it all, but meanwhile, I felt terrible about myself.
0: So, and in, in you said it right there exactly. So when people are expressing jealousy towards you because they think you have it all, that just continually fuels perfectionism, right? It just continually feels like I can't let anyone see that this is not for real. Like I can no,
1: Exactly. This, right? I mean, my marriage wasn't happy and, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't want people to know that and at the time I was working, uh, when I was working as a crown attorney, my position was the, um, you know, lead domestic violence prosecutor. So I was dealing with a lot of women in bad marriages and, um, you know, they were suffering abuse. And I felt like my own home life was a mess on some level. And I felt kind of like I was a fraud sometimes with things I was telling them because I wasn't being honest about my own problems.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a, that's, a, yeah that is definitely a massive, massive armor that to wear. Right. And if I'm going to quote Brene for a second, we know that like when we wear armor and I've worn armor many times in my life, because it does serve a role. There are times in our life when we have to just, we have to do it. we got to do the do. And, but if that becomes our life of how we approach everything then eventually it starts to affect us on such a deep, deep personal level. And I think one of the biggest ahas for me with Brene's work was the fact that if I am using that armor to put on this facade that I'm doing great and everything is fine, then I'm using that to block out all the bad things in life. But then I'm also not, I wasn't feeling like I was not, I was just, I wasn't feeling much because you can't selectively block emotions right you can't yeah. do both and so it almost becomes this numb thing of this is like this is what life is like this is what i'm doing because there was just not a lot of emotions
1: yeah i think that you know that's the kind of the state i was in i I always differentiate between you know living and existing and i think Mm -hmm. i just went through massive years of my life just existing i didn't really i didn't have strong emotions one way or the other because i was dissociating too and i was um you know i learned to block them because i from a young age i wasn't really allowed to feel them because it was viewed as a negative thing to be sad or depressed or you know, unhappy or, you know, anything other than positive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so when, you know, I was going through, my marriage wasn't great. And of course, when you're in a bad marriage, whatever the reasons are for it, it's not a happy place to be. Um, Of course not. And, you know, I deal with clients all the time who are, you know, in that type of situation. And we kind of underestimate, I think, sometimes the toll that being in an unhappy marriage takes on us, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the divorce process. And for me, it was when I kind of, I ended up getting, my marriage ended when my children were very young, one in three. and Oh, wow. That is young. But that's kind of what really, I think, then started becoming the turning point for me, Mm. was that I had these two young children, I was divorced, I had no self-esteem coming out of my marriage, Uh, my father had passed away, my brother had moved away and i was trying to keep up this perfection so i had to keep everyone on some level even my friends at a certain distance because i couldn't let them into the real the reality of what was happening so i didn't have anyone that i felt super close to that i could reach out to and so what i ended up doing um was i started to uh make friends with white wine and, um, you sorry, know, Emily, I totally <laughs> relate to what you're saying. Yeah. So, you I right would say Santa Margarita, Margarita Pinot Grigio became mm-hmm. my best friend, um, during that time because uh, you know, I found that she could make me be, you know, put on that happy smiley face, uh, be positive, not feel stressed out, not feel negative. And for a while I was still able to perform at a very high level. Um, even though I was secretly, you know, upping my consumption of uh, Pinot Grigio, um, which people again didn't know was going on because I yeah. had not been much of a drinker for, you know, this was happening in my 40s. I had not been a drinker, you know, for the first 42 years of my life, um, and so what started as something. You know, it was like one glass once or twice a week and then, it, you know, it became two and then it was, yeah. you know, a bottle or it was every, you know, it just it slowly crept up uh, until unfortunately, eventually it started to become a problem for me. Um, but again, I mean, I had such shame, like because that you look, my God, like goody two shoes, having a drinking problem. Like that was just not on my life plan <laughs> or anything, you know, that I saw coming. Um, or anyone else I think who knew me, um, on most levels, and most people didn't know this was going on because I was very good at performing, right? I learned to act and perform at a young age. So even though I had a drinking problem, I could still play that role. And I had such a goody two shoes element to how I could come across. I think people wouldn't have, you know, expect me, you know, to have had to have been secretly, you know, drinking.
0: So you, I mean, thank you for being so real and sharing that with us because I know someone will be able to relate to that. Did you become almost this professional mask wearer? Like you just, it's just, I say it, there's all these masks that keep going on. Like we put the mask on here, we put the mask on here and we just keep wearing it. And wait, this mask isn't working where I need a new mask. And it's just, it's just um, keeps blocking and blocking and blocking everything else so that we can continue with a pattern that actually isn't serving us at all.
1: Yes, I mean, I definitely was keeping up, you know, had a mask, uh, but unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it was getting harder and harder for me to for me to keep on because the drinking was becoming more, Mm -hmm. and it was starting to show up. And so, like my ex-husband was very aware of it, and um, and you know, it, it wasn't like as they say when we were married, I didn't even hardly drink, so it wasn't an issue in the marriage. But afterwards, when my consumption started to go up, he was the person who was most aware of. Of it um, you know which was probably the worst situation for me in some ways because he wasn't interested you know we didn't have the kind of relationship where he was right. going to be helping me uh, you know I, maybe in his own way he thought he was helping but um, I kept it from my friends I kept it from my brother um, and it and it just as you say it, it continued to become worse and worse so eventually I couldn't keep the mask on anymore and and um, I, my lowest point was that my children came home and I was like passed out drunk on the floor.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: And you know, like I, they'll remember that the rest of their lives. Like it kills me inside to know that that's a childhood memory of my two children that, you know, Little Miss Perfect would never have thought that would be something her children would be experiencing. So, you know, I really knew I had to get help. Um, Mm -hmm. And turn things around, and you know that was a journey in itself. Um, but I think for me, being humbled at that level um, and coming to the recognition that okay, like this problem is bigger than me, I can I, I you know I'm. So, I, I learned at a young age that I could manage anything, I could take on everything and manage it and do a good job, and. I didn't need other people's help because, to be honest, I felt they hadn't been there for me anyway when I was younger. So now I was in this situation where I did need help, which was very hard for me to accept because I, people had let me down before, but the problem was bigger than, than me. I couldn't deal with it on my own.
0: No, and, I, and I, is it fair to say you say that people let you down? Um, only cause I think that we went to the same school almost of the suck it up school and you, I mean, if you are, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that that was a sign of the times of what we did. You just put your head down and you just kept going. You didn't, you didn't really share your, I mean, what I do now and what you're doing now, like sharing our stories was not something you did then. You don't no. tell people you're struggling. You don't tell them that you're like, are you kidding? You don't do that. So it's very different. That was the school that we went to, but If you're in that school of suck it up and keep going, then that has got to make it very difficult to ask for help.
1: For sure. And mm-hmm. I mean, and, and because I had felt that I had been emotionally abandoned on some level when my mother died, I felt that people had let me down as well. So yeah. my, my view was like, the only person I know I can count on is me. And that's who I'm going to count on. And everyone else, there's no point in even asking because they're just going to let me down like that. That was my mindset. And so yeah to, to, to have to ask for help was like very, very hard for me. Um, but yeah, it was, sure. it was necessary. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am right now if I hadn't had help beyond me. So I think that that
0: is a great, I think this is a great nugget that I want to stop on and, and for a second is the fact that you know, perfectionism, that mask worked for a long time. It's what you wore. It's what you did. But in order to create change, that change had to come from outside of yourself in order for that to happen. Somebody said that once, well, how did you, um, how did you know to ask for help? And I'm like, because I knew if I had the answers, it would have been fixed like a long time ago. I just didn't have them anymore. But we have to be willing to say, okay, this is not working. I mean, it's just not working. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know this is not working.
1: Yeah, I mean, I tried stopping drinking on my own for a long time before that. And, you know, when I'm lying there and I'm passed out drunk in front of my two children, yeah. like, clearly it's not working. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Clearly something has to change. Like, I guess on that level, I was a slow learner. I had to be like banged yeah. over the head to get the message. But that's what it took
0: no i don't think so at all i think i don't i mean it's we joke about it but i don't think so i think the fact that i mean look at how you are raised and now here's the thing right the, the way that you're raised and i'm just going to relate for a second is the fact that like you can attribute a lot of your success in life for how you were raised. like yeah. suck it up do the work do that like that's how i was um I, I was driven i was extremely driven like suck it up and do it but then there hits a point that I always like to say that sometimes our greatest strengths become our biggest weakness. Like that was not, like holding on to that person who was like drive, push, 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 push was not going to take me to the next level. I actually had to learn a lot of the complete opposite.
1: No, that's true. And I think that for me, like my ability to perform and my overachieving, you know, nature allowed me to continue with the drinking longer than it might have because I was so good at acting and still performing, even though, you know, I physically and mentally was not doing so well. Right. Uh, so it kind of prolonged it um, for sure.
0: Wow. So this point, this painful point where your kids find you, is that the turning point for you? Is that one of the main turning points for you?
1: Yes. that was definitely the main turning point yeah. um, I had tried as they say I had tried to stop drinking on my own before that I even had tried getting some help mm-hmm. before that um, but unfortunately it just wasn't the right it was help that didn't resonate with me yeah. um, and, you know just in my soul in my in, you know my my intuition my gut level it wasn't I wasn't connecting with the help that I was receiving and it was actually making the drinking worse because mm-hmm. I was sort of being I'm thinking okay like now I'm trying to get help and finally reaching out and the stuff these people are telling me it's not helping and i'm not relating to these people at all so after this horrible you know low point um i managed then to connect with the help that actually did make a difference i connected with a therapist who just really understood me and what i had gone through and Mm -hmm. didn't you know want to I, i find with with substance abuse um there's a lot of people who want to put you in the in a box of a one size fits all solution. And that for me was a big problem because the one size fits all solution was not the solution for me. And this therapist got that. She got that the path that helps lots of people really was not the path I should be on because it wasn't helping me. Mm-hmm. And I was a different situation. So she really, and she helped me rebuild my self-esteem and she helped to, to kind of validate, I think as well. I I think I needed that validation of some of the things, the experiences I'd had that, hey, like this was, I was treated badly here. This person treated me badly and it was not okay that this happened to me or that, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, and even with my mother passing away, it was not, you know, okay what, how that whole situation evolved and how I, you know, at 19, what I was dealing with. And I think just having somebody validate that Mm -hmm. was a huge thing for me.
0: And you can look at that now, especially even having a a 17-year-old, like just really fathom the amount that you carried at that time as a 19-year-old. That's a tremendous amount of responsibility to carry. Tremendous.
1: And that's the thing. I think at the time, I thought, okay, well, I'm 19. I'm legally an adult. I guess I'm an adult. You know, so that was how I viewed it. Whereas now I look at a 19, my son's going to be 18 in July, and I can't even imagine him in a year. I hope he never has to deal with the kind of things I had to deal Mm -hmm. with at such a young age.
0: But then, you know, you look at it and go, I think that is as, as heavy and hard and difficult as all those things were, they've made you who you are. And the fact that you've allowed now this other side, right, to let's not carry this perfection mask anymore. Let's be real. Let's show people that, yeah, I, I had mess. I had absolute mess. And this is, but this is what I'm doing with it now. And this is where I've come through the other side. So I think by having that experience, I mean, it probably speaks to how real you can be with your kids and how straight, right?
1: For sure. And even just as a person, like I always say, I'm at the point now where I'm grateful for that experience because mm-hmm. it has made me a better person on so many levels. Um, one of the biggest ones being judge, I don't judge before, you know, when I was in my twenties, people who had drinking problems or drug problems, I, you know, I would be oh, like, that would never happen to me. That's their fault. They're weak. That was always a thing. they're weak. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and that was in, you know, that was something I had to struggle with as well, just because I had this judgment of people with drinking problems as being weak, and I didn't view myself as a weak person. No. In fact, I viewed myself as having endured a lot more challenges than a lot of my friends had. Not that it's a competition. Um, and so you know having gone through that and the humbling of it it made me realize like if i could develop a problem with alcohol you know in the perfect storm any one anyone of us could one of us could, could find ourselves in all kinds of situations in that perfect storm absolutely so, I don't judge, um, and it's made me—you know—it's made me a better mom. It's made me a better person. It's made me a better lawyer, a better coach, like all of these things. So, mm-hmm. as awful as the experience was, and as at the—you t- know—at the time I thought I was in a black hole I'd never get out of, but I can look back now, and I truly am grateful that I went through it. Um, That's it's really powerful. Yeah.
0: That is really powerful because I mean, it's just, that's very, also very enlightened being able to look at some of those experiences and say, I mean, they did shape me to who I am and they, they, they're almost guiding me on the path that I'm on now. Like I do things differently. Now I look at things differently. I think of things differently. And I think when you've walked the path of a perfectionist and then you were in the whole, in the whole judgment piece for a long time that you learn the power of not judging others, right? That yes. power of, yeah, it's very, people ask me questions all the time. And I'm like, no, I'm the least judgmental person. I've been on the other end of judgment for so long that I just honestly look at it. And sometimes as a person will say to me, like, can you believe they did that? Can you believe I'm like, I, I haven't walked in their shoes. I don't know. I just don't know. Like, it, right? I don't yeah. know what life is like for them. And I know how well I hit it for a long time. So what we see on the outside is nothing. Like it, it doesn't indicate anything. That person could be incredibly broken inside that they're not showing anyone else.
1: Oh, exactly. And like you hit the nail on the head with the business of if I haven't walked in your shoes, no. it's not for me to say what I would or wouldn't do. And no. that applies in everything.
0: It does. It's very powerful. I also find, I'm, I'm sure you've been in that spot, but have you ever been in the spot where like I I can look at someone else and say, I don't i've never walked in their shoes so i can't judge their path have you gotten to a space where you judge yourself less and you like you forgive yourself for that took me time i'm not gonna lie that took me some time to do so i'm just curious like is that something that resonates with you that you had to learn how to do as well be um forgiving of yourself and look at it and go you know what for what she had to carry she had a damn good job Like she did as best as she could. She did as best as she could with what she had. You had a tremendous amount to carry from a young age. So how is that path, like looking at the judgment to others and then back to ourselves, like how do you find, how did you find that path through that journey?
1: Uh, Well, for sure, I've learned to be less judgmental on myself because with all the perfectionism and all the judgment of others, the person I definitely held to the higher standard was always me. So I've learned to let that go. Um, You know, again, that was a process. That wasn't easy for me to stop judging myself. And I had tremendous shame, tremendous shame about the drinking. Um, And it took me a long time to... um, to own it. And, you know, slowly I started to tell, you know, I told my brother, you know, slowly I started to tell a couple of friends who I felt close with. Um, and, but over, you know, time, I'm now at the point where, you know, I, I'll share it in a public, um, you know, forum like this. You're sharing um, it very openly here. And I thank you yeah. I really do. and I, cause I have no shame. I own it. It's part of my experience. I don't feel it's, it makes me any less of, a success or a happy person or a, you know, whatever term. Um, And so, you know, it's kind of a, it's a peaceful place to be where you feel that you can own your story um, and not be ashamed, uh, and not care. You know, I, I I think that, you know, there are people who are going to judge it and I know that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also know, you know, anyone who's going to think differently of me because of what I've been through and how I dealt with it, you know, is probably, they're not my people. Um, you know, and and that's just the way it's going to be. Um, but it it took you know i it's still a process like i mean there's there's mo- there's dark moments in that period of my life i you know it was a period of about five years, and you know there's some pretty low places I went and dark places that you know nobody knows about it's between me and you know my higher power um but and some things don't need to be shared. I mean, that's no. the other thing. I think that, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be vulnerable and share your story and be open and own your story. But that doesn't mean that you have to share every single detail with the world either.
0: No, I'm really glad you said this because I think this is something that needs some clarifying in, in the personal development space and the, you know everybody's always in the case of like let's you have to be open up and be vulnerable and you have to share. And as Brene would say, right not everybody has earned the right to hear your story. Yeah. And it's, it's that connection, having that connection to be able to share that. So I love that you said that because there is a time and place for vulnerability and even being vulnerable, There are still many, many parts of my story that will never make it to any public forum of any kind, right? It's just, that's not, vulnerability doesn't mean dumping everything that you have. Yeah, It means sharing this. What does vulnerability mean to you?
1: Well, to me, it means owning my story and not being ashamed and Mm -hmm. being, being able to just be comfortable with the experiences I've had that have shaped me, not be embarrassed and um, being open about them. I say being selectively open about them, I guess, Mm -hmm. because just as we were saying, not everyone is entitled to hear, you know, every detail. And you also have to be at a, a point of healing where you're ready, where you're ready and able to share, because I, you know, there would have been times in the past where, I wouldn't have been able to deal with the judgment or criticism of somebody um, for some of the experiences I've had. And that might've impaired my healing journey or Mm -hmm. slowed it a little bit. Whereas, you know, I, I found I just kind of gradually got to a point where there's, I don't, I, I don't think there's something somebody can say that is really going to upset me. I mean, you never know, I suppose, but, but you do have to be, you know, healed enough that you're able to handle judgment because there, there's always going to be judgment. We live in a judgy world.
0: Oh, we do before, even before social media, we live in a judgy world and it's definitely there. And I, I mean, I think as we start to build I don't call it armor because it's not it's not even a shield. It's just that we choose what comes in, right? It doesn't block things up, but we choose how we respond to it. And that means that we we decide how we're affected by what people say. And as we start to build ourselves up, we become more um, or less affected by what some, someone else might say. But then we still get the odd one. I'll get the odd comment. And I'm like, ah, that one stung." Like, that one just stunk. Yeah, stung. yeah. And then I sit there and I'm like, okay, this is from their perspective. This is more about them than me. Cause I know my story and you might relate, but I know my story can trigger a lot of people. It makes them afraid. Like they're afraid when they're dealing with their kids and like, what did you do wrong? Like, what did you do wrong? And how did this happen? I'm like, it's not about right and wrong. It's, it just happened. It's, and that's scary for people. So when it's a story that is scary for people, then in instantly, it is easier to go into the space of, well, she must've done something wrong. And that's why that happened.
1: Yeah, exactly. They, that They want to find a solution as to why it happened to you, right. but it's not going to happen to them so that they right. can feel more comfortable um, for sure.
0: Yeah, that's not that a whole judgment piece. And it's learning. I mean, the more and more you live it, the more you can reflect on that self-reflection because it's so much stronger that you can see how things are playing out. And you don't take those things personally. It doesn't mean you don't have bad days. It doesn't mean we don't have like
1: those, those moments that sting, but it's knowing what to do with them and how we handle them. Exactly. And I mean, I think for me, part of what has made me the the caring person that I am and and some of the skills that I have in my legal practice and my coaching is that I am very sensitive. So it's a double-edged sword, you know, because on the one Mm -hmm. hand, my sensitivity does mean that, you know, when people say very critical or mean things, it has the potential to sting me or upset me more. Mm -hmm. Um, But then my sensitivity also makes me more in tune with other people and, and helping them. So it's, um, but I think through the whole process of what I went through, I learned, not to, um, you know, somebody can say something mean and it's how I, I'm not going to give them that power over me mm-hmm. to make me feel bad about myself because of what they said. Yep.
0: They speak from their own standpoint, right? They're speaking from their own yes. experience. They're speaking from their own. So there's nothing you can do to own that. That's not yours to own. And exactly.
1: Right? They have to own their
0: own stuff. It so. says more
1: about them than me and, you know, all that sort of thing. But I've, you know, I've really learned to internalize those beliefs.
0: Yeah, that's awesome because it takes time. I mean, it takes time. So you I mean, this is some big changes that you have gone through of how you live your life and what you do with it. So do you see that has um like can you see what kind of impact that has made on you now in your profession, in your life, and how maybe you really do view things like and that you do view things differently as not being the perfectionist anymore? Like how, how how has it changed and shaped you and what how does that, how does that um, make an impact in your field and what you're doing now? Uh,
1: well, I think it makes me, number one, more relatable because people know that I've had some of my own struggles and so I'm not this Miss Perfect. And so it makes me more relatable and less intimidating, quite frankly. I, I find, you know, in the profession I'm in, sometimes people um, are apt to be intimidated by lawyers. I, I don't know. And mm-hmm. I, I think for me, the, my vulnerability and, and my you know, the, my lack, my admitting that I'm not perfect, it does make me more approachable for clients. Um, and so I think I'm, and they're able to share more with me, which I think at the end of the day can help me get them a better result, whether it's legally or through coaching.
0: Absolutely. That's really powerful. That is really, really powerful. So what are you, I know that you also do some coaching as well, right? You also do. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your coaching and what you do and what you offer.
1: Yes, I do uh, divorce coaching and mm-hmm. it's, it's through the whole, uh, divorce process. So pre divorce, when you're thinking of leaving divorce management and then divorce recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, um, I have coaching programs that are like a, a package, but I also do one on one coaching and I'm currently in the process of developing, um, some additional things i'm I'm developing a course and a membership and different things um because the reality is that when you're going through a divorce you really do need a lot of support and people Mm -hmm. underestimate the toll that it takes um and so i've wanted to i i feel that i there aren't a lot of people in the space that i'm in Doing what I'm doing in the sense of I've got kind of the hard, practical, legal skills, the financial outlook a little bit, but I also have the softer... Warm, you know, you need some self love and some self care and boundaries and and those types of things. So I'm able to bring those elements along with the the more practical legal financial stuff.
0: That's a great mesh of the two areas, right? Like you're looking at like these are the foundational things you need to know, but then at the same time you are going through such a, ma- a, a major life change and transformation that like here are some of the personal things that you need to know that are also going to be like impacting you and affecting your life
1: yeah and we and the reality is we need both i mean that's of sort of the other thing i learned in my own journey being a, a left brain dominant you know <laughs> logical lawyer type i i was always all about like if you can't see it you know it's it doesn't work and right. through, through my own journey i mean i i, I did hypnosis i've done tapping you know, those are things that to me would have, I would have thought were like ridiculous pseudoscience <laughs> voodoo, like, you know, which Dr. stuff is a lawyer and, you know, and some of the people in my life would be like, what? But it, but it worked. Like, so I'm a believer because it, it worked. It got me to where I needed to be. And so um, I, with the coaching, I mean, I, I'm not qualified to do, you know, some of the things I, I mentioned, but I just believe people, like healing requires a whole bunch of different things. And it can be different for each person, but you need to be open to things that maybe are outside your comfort zone or seem unusual or, you know, whatever, um, mm-hmm. because they, you know, they do work
0: again not judging it i mean you have to look for something that works for you and and you have to find that for some people it's this for some people it's this i used to joke in the rehab field because i work in um personal rehab and like as far as physical injuries and somebody said i we i joked with this for many years that you know if you came in and said that when i paint my face green i have less pain my honesty would be like great you look good and you look great and green because i don't it's not for me to decide, But if you don't have the solutions that you want, please find a way to keep digging to ask the next person, and ask the next person, ask the next person. Because there's a lot of different people that I've worked with on this journey that have helped me to get here. It was never one person. Yeah. It was a compilation of a few different people and mentors and coaches because as we keep evolving, we keep changing, right? And that just, it's sometimes that needs a new person to push us a little bit more to keep growing and keep growing.
1: For sure. Like sometimes the right person at a particular time is not Mm -hmm. the right person forever. And and you, cause you can, out I hate to say you can outgrow certain people. I mean, I've had people that have helped me at certain periods in time who I just reached a point where I had outgrown them and I needed a different level of, um, you know, help or support, uh, whether it's, you know, emotionally or whether it's to do even with business stuff, you know, right. like we're, all, we're always growing. And so it's important to, as you say, like, don't just re- find the right person that works at the time, but, and that, but then be open that you may need to change it, mm-hmm. down the road. but always listen to your gut. Cause I think that's the other thing I learned is if, if the help you're getting, it just doesn't feel right, or it doesn't feel like it's helping. Mm-hmm. Then it's probably not, and you and keep digging, keep looking for right. something because there will be something, and you'll know it when you find it. Yeah, and
0: you you know what? It's a you set a great point there because it's very much that we you know um, we might not have all the answers, but we know how we don't want to feel. Like usually, what we we're like, what do I not want? I don't want more of that. I don't know if this is the right answer, but I'm willing to try. And so that eventually, I just say, just keep chasing that energy that feels good, because you will yeah. stumble into something. That works for you. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate um, the depth that you shared that story, because I know it will resonate with someone. Um, where can people reach you, connect you, and find you?
1: Uh, well, my website is ww.leantozen.ca. Okay. Um, I have all my contact information there. I'm active on Facebook, Instagram at Leanne Townsend Life. I have a fair size following there, Twitter. LinkedIn, but everything is on my uh, website.
0: Perfect. We will make sure that it's all connected into the notes. Um, As I wrap up, I have a couple quick questions for you. And one is if you could go back in life to any age, it can be any age. What is one lesson that you would tell your younger self?
1: Um, I would tell myself not to care so much what people think of me. Mm -hmm.
0: So simple and so powerful, right? <laughs> yes. Not yes. care what they think. And you know, it's funny because when I say that to clients, I'm like, you do realize that people are so, self- you know how we're self-consumed with ourselves with what? Like, what are we doing? How is it? All those things that we're worried about what people think. Meanwhile, most people are just worried about their own life anyways
1: exactly you're an afterthought to them anyways but yet you think they're you're like a major topic of conversation in their lives
0: (laughs) no we're not we're not so i love that that's a great point
1: um and the very last question is what lesson in
0: life are you the most grateful for
1: hmm that's a tough question Mm -hmm. um i mean i guess it ties in with everything we've been talking about The, the lesson is that it's okay to fall on your face people are still gonna love you um, you're, you know, you'll get out, you'll, you'll succeed again, or you'll stand up again. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't make you a lesser person, just mm-hmm. because you fell on your face.
0: I love that. Because we all fall on our face. All of us yeah. do, right? And I mean, in doing so and learning, if you look at it, that learning to let go of that persona of perfection is probably something that saved your life. Like, it's probably something that saved you, in a sense, to learn how to let go of that.
1: Yes. And and it's made my life so much better. You know, my relationships are so much better. My friendships, my relationship with my children. Yeah, everything. It's all real now, right? It's yeah, real. Exactly. Like it,
0: it's a very powerful thing to do for it to, have it, to be real.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. That is and so
1: And I find I can't even tolerate the fakeness. You know, I think that's the thing too, when you go through stuff like this, like I don't, I can't tolerate being around fake people. I don't, I try to avoid them as much as possible. Fake situations, I just Mm -hmm. don't like any of it.
0: No, and I've just learned that those are my boundaries, that that's not where I want to spend my time and energy. So we always joke that we've been places where we meet a whole group of people and it's nothing about, it's not that anyone else is wrong. I just don't choose to be around it and we'll be there and all of a sudden I'll be like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm out. And I turn and I walk away and my husband's like, oh, yep, yeah, they didn't connect. That was not, it's
1: just, <laughs> there's,
0: there's not me like trying to change a person, trying to let them know how I feel. It's just not something I choose to be around.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So it's very powerful. When you start to learn yourself and learn more about yourself and learn what helps you to become that person, then it's, and you start to honor it. It can really be an interesting journey.
1: Well, that's such a huge point. I feel like I could talk to you for ages, but you you know, one thing I learned through everything I went through as well is that my personality is I tend to be an an introvert. I'm a very social person. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I like being out and going out and meeting friends and stuff, but I need that time to myself to also recharge and I kind of grew up thinking that that was something to you know awful that I didn't want to just be with people 100% of the time and I needed to recharge and now I know I just I do need it and I honor it and it makes me enjoy the social times and times of people so much more because I've taken care of myself it's it
0: you're right first off we could talk forever and second you are um you've got such a great point there because I am I always thought I was an extrovert And I think I'm so much more of an introvert in the sense that being the introvert gives me time. I need recharge time. So when I do um, interviews or podcasts or I have speaking events and I love giving in those moments, I need equal amounts of time to recharge. I've learned that the hard way that I'm going to do a full day event and I'll give it everything I have. But that next week, very little is on schedule. Like, yeah, that's
1: exactly like like me.
0: Yeah. I have to honor. And it didn't take me a long time to learn that. It was just like, what is the matter with me? And I don't have anything left because you don't have anything left because you gave it up.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And what, you know, it's, it's a hard lesson to learn, but an important one, right? Cause I, you know, I found I was just running myself into the ground and, and, mm-hmm. and now I don't let that happen.
0: No, no, it's very powerful. And, you, and this is the thing, right? We've, we've been very candid and honest about our journeys and the path that we have walked on, but going through those steps has helped us to learn lessons that help us in the next stage. Like we need those lessons. We have had to learn that in order to be able to even um, give more to ourselves, which gives more to others.
1: Definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, honestly, as I said, Leanne, I could talk to you forever. So Likewise.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: I want to thank you so much for being open and sharing with us. And I know someone will be able to relate to the story of perfectionism and the masks that you wore and how you really had to be okay with falling down to in order to stand up and learn to ask for help. And what a difference that has made in your life, your kid's life, and what a difference it makes in the lives of people who you are working with and coaching with because you have made yourself so much more relatable by being able to share that part of your journey.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope that something I've said is helpful to someone out there.
0: It will absolutely be. I absolutely will. It will. So thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I cannot wait for this episode to go live. So we'll keep you posted. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. And join us on the next episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Until next time, remember, When you own your choices, you truly own your life.